0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to this follow-up recording of questions that we didn't get a chance to answer following my uh, May 2021 construction market update uh, webinar. This is Connor Lokar, senior forecaster at ITR, checking back in for those of you that heard me on that webinar. Uh, So we're gonna go ahead and and get started. So as we hit through the list here, number one, how much longer before supply catches up? So, you know, supply obviously is a bit of a broad term. we think, in general, the supply side of the economy is going to start to catch up next year. Uh, in some cases, it, it may show up uh, here in late 2021. Uh, we anticipate that single-family uh, construction, for example, single-family residential construction, should start to decelerate in the latter portions of this year, uh, which should be kind of the first demand-side relief uh, thrown to the supply side, but. From an aggregate standpoint overall macroeconomic demand is going to continue in an overwhelmingly accelerating direction throughout the balance of 2021 so i would pin your hopes more so in 2022 in terms of a more tangible relief on the supply side for it really to start to make headway i mean uh, you know supply chains are you know we're seeing more we're seeing port volume is actually up across the united states we're seeing rail volume truck volume is up it feels like we're behind because demand is rising faster uh, at this point in time. So we think that that starts to shift uh, next year. Next question, uh, do we think the millennials entering their prime home buying age will continue to prop up residential housing for the next two to five years? So that's an interesting question. So that's, I, I've kind of been a closet closet uh, bull on the single family market pre-COVID uh, for this reason. I, I just felt that the natural maturation process of millennials you know, youngest millennials are into the second half, you know, the, the, the twilight years of their 20s at this point. Older millennials um, are in their late 30s, even approaching their early 40s, I believe. Uh, and, and I felt that that was going to start to shift and displace some demand out of the multifamily market that, that my generation has been largely in love with. Uh, what has been interesting about COVID in, in the last 15 months or so is is that, I think, multiple years of that demand shift has actually occurred in the last 15 months. I mean, we've seen just the preposterous surge in demand uh, for single family dwellings. Uh, A lot of that has been, uh, you know, some of that younger cohort where they're taking this, you know, remote working flexibility, uh, perhaps some of the diminished attractiveness of these densely populated urban areas that uh, obviously a lot of the kind of positive Benefits of living in those areas in terms of nightlife, entertainment, uh, public transportation—obviously less appealing uh, in the last 15 months, or non-existent in some cases uh, in the last 15 months. So, so the next two to five years question is interesting: is that you know did we front-load a lot of that demand? Uh, is it going to continue to trickle out over the next two to five years? Could it potentially be clipped uh, by a normalizing, you know, kind of return to office life trend that maybe leaves folks pushing back into cities and, and multifamily renting uh, situations. I think that could happen somewhat, uh, but I think that millennials should continue to be supportive of probably your lower price point in the market. So, uh, you know, a millennial, you know, in their early mid 30s is probably not buying what, you know, a baby boomer that is retiring and trading down out of, you know, I think those price classes might be different. So, um, you know, there could be some nuance to that question, but but I think millennials, you know, that, that home buying demand, you know, barring some really bullish mortgage rate runs, uh, you know, to the upside, you know, that would probably demand demand, dent demand across all buyers. Uh, but I think millennials will be in a position uh, to continue to support some level of demand for residential housing. What is your forecast for lumber prices? So we don't carry an active lumber price forecast at the moment. We are typically looking at either producer price indexes for softwoods, hardwoods, or an aggregate wood producer price index. Our anticipation is that we're going to see some cyclical pressure to the downside later this year. That's going to mean deceleration, not necessarily pricing declines. I think what's been really interesting, particularly as of late here in the last several weeks, uh, is that the futures market for lumber uh, has af- actually softened fairly considerably. So, so that would indicate to me we're seeing some inventory levels start to pick back up for different, you know, building suppliers. Uh, where you know we are seeing, you know, lead times from my contacts in the industry have indicated that you know those are you know when we look at, at contractors, you know, their, their lumber package uh, buys that, you know, some of those lead times that were, you know, obscene, like 12 plus weeks are, are starting to come back down. So I think we're actually are starting to see a little bit of loosening on the lumber price front. So we may not necessarily be there yet, but I think the light at the end of the tunnel is probably brighter now as I record this, even than uh, when I ultimately did that uh, webinar uh, in late May. So uh, like I said, don't have a hard forecast for you, but I think downside cyclical pressure is probable. In the second half of this year, particularly the latter portions of this year, especially in 2022, uh, and I would not be at all surprised if we actually saw that materialize in some actual, you know, retreating price levels, particularly on the softwood side, which has been so overcooked uh, as we look into next year. So next question, what inflation rate is built uh, into your outlook? So Kind of depends on what outlook you're referencing. You know, the our GDP forecast, for example, we're looking at inflation adjusted data. So basically we strip inflation out so we can get uh, a little bit more consistent kind of volume based look to the overall U.S. economy. Uh, you know, U.S. industrial production, that is also a volume measure. So in that case, inflation is inflation's actually already out of the equation for those forecasts. You know, for housing starts, that's another volume measure. So there isn't a quote unquote inflation rate built in to that data set. You know, when we're forecasting companies, which we're very, you know, which we do quite a bit of, and typically we're forecasting revenue, uh, most often, you know, top line sales. Obviously that's going to be dollar based. So we would look at relevant producer price indexes in most cases for our clients. Uh, you know, the CPI, uh, which is, you know, your headline number, which you're reading so much about here lately. That's not necessarily a perfect uh, you know, inflation rate, you know, kind of a an alpha to build into a forecast for a business because it's really going to be dependent on what their inputs are, uh, you know, what their labor costs are. So the PPIs by industry uh, are typically more relevant there. So it, it's not as simple as, you know, there's some base rate that we build into every forecast because it's really dependent on the data series we're forecasting and then, you know, the market, you know, within which whether it's a market data set of happens to be in dollars or a particular business, we, we try to get specific when we can uh you know customized around uh whatever that instance may be final question here is what leading indicators would you look at for architectural and engineering firms so uh that's a great question and i actually showed some that i think would be favorites um for you folks it's the architectural billings indexes from the american institute of architects so if you're asking this question you very well uh, may be a member of that association we think that those are pretty good because architecture uh, architects and architectural engineering are kind of because they're early process, you might not extract the same lead time that say some of my contractor clients get about that because they can kind of look to you for leading signals in terms of what's coming next. So so you may not get as long of a lead time. It could be more coincident or a shorter term lead where some of my clients, you know, they're getting multiple quarters of lead time out of those particular metrics. So I think those are great. Uh, Like I said in my webinar, You you can't just, you know, looking at the raw number, I don't think is super productive in a lot of folks' cases where they see, you know, the headline architectural billings index value is 56.3. So you would sit there and say, okay, well, that's above 50. So I know that's good, but I don't really know what that means for me. Uh, So you really want to leverage the rates of change of both your business's revenue, look at your 12-12 rate of change, and then compare that uh, on a cyclical basis or on a raw monthly basis to some of those data points so you can actually distill you know when a shift in that index may or may not indicate a shift plus or minus in business conditions for your architectural and engineering firm so i would start there you know some some other ones that maybe aren't directly industry related you know our itr leading indicator proprietary to us most companies have a reasonable match to that and typically uh you know can get some lead time out of that so that's one of our favorites that we make uh you know there is you know some oecd you know us leading indicators and other kind of broad-based us Leading indicator that you could probably get some lead time out of, uh, and, and really just the, the general economy can, you know, off very often does lead. The non-residential side of the economy. So you actually may lag behind GDP, for example. So, so I think you have a lot of options there, uh, you know, if you're looking towards, you know, for non-residential applications and then on the residential side, uh, you know, I, uh, if you reference back to my webinar, I went through a bunch of what I would classify as my favorites in terms uh, of leading indicators for the single family market. So. That about covers it folks uh that is the uh final question there that we had left over so uh thank you for popping back on uh for this uh webinar recording if you have any specific questions relevant to your business how to leverage leading indicators maybe our DataCast platform or, or engages for you know some consulting work to actually look at your business and do forecasts for you i would certainly uh, encourage you to reach out uh if you're listening to this you're already on our website so you can navigate a few clicks to to see some options that we may have and pursue further or you can send me an email at c clocar, C-L-O-K-A-R, at itreconomics.com. If you have anything that you want to ask me specifically, I can certainly point you in the right direction. So with that, I will wrap it up. Thanks for joining us. And hopefully you will see me next fall, uh, or this coming fall rather, uh, for our year end update on construction markets, what they're doing, and we'll take more of a 2022, 2023 look. So Thanks for stopping by, see you on the next one.